You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. As the ushers are taking our offering this morning, I just want to um, remind us that we have been in a series um, called Waking the Dead, and we've been talking about how to come fully alive in our life with Christ. You know, an alive, Christ-centered lifestyle consists more of more than just attending a church service or reading a Christian book now and then. It's living beyond uh, wearing great Christian logos on our clothes or wearing the latest uh, Christian jewelry. It's a life marked by the full, vibrant, abundant life that Jesus said we could have in John 10.10. Last week, Pastor Farrell shared with us how if we live the fullness of our identity in Christ, that that will cause us to come alive in this um, life that Christ has provided for us. Today, we're going to look at another key to coming alive, and that is we're going to talk about coming alive to spirit-filled living. I'm convinced that for some in this gathered in this place today, that this literally could be a life-transforming moment for you as you gain understanding on who the Holy Spirit is and how he operates in our lives. So would you just take a moment and just join me and welcome the Holy Spirit's teaching power this morning? Let's just pray briefly together. Father, we come before you this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do pray that the spirit of truth, the teacher, the one that you have sent, Lord, to unveil scripture to us, Lord, that you um, would make the Holy Spirit more known to us this morning. Lord, I just pray that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit would be resident here. I pray that our minds would be open to your teaching and your instruction, and our hearts would be receptive to what you have to say. Lord, I pray that as just a mortal human being, you would speak so much bigger through me than than, um, anything I could ever say. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would abound and that you would individually minister to each person that's gathered here together today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Well, there were two Christians who were um, on vacation at Niagara Falls. And as they were looking at the falls uh, falling and this, this billowing mist that was rising over Niagara Falls, one of them commented to the other, that mist is the greatest unused power source in the world. To which the other friend replied, no, I'd have to disagree. I think the greatest untapped power source in the world today is the Holy Spirit. And I would have to agree with that friend. Too many believers today are living a lethargic and dull Christian life, which is completely at odds with what Jesus promised us in John chapter 10, 10. And the reason that they're living such a lethargic life is because they don't know how, or they never have tapped into the relationship with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Dr. Ted Roberts, who's a a pastor on the West Coast, has said this. Many of us have become rational Christians, skilled in human reasoning, rather than spiritual Christians who confidently function in the spirit realm. We allow the spirit of the world to govern our lives more than the spirit of God. 
One of the reasons I think many believers today avoid developing a consistent and confident relationship with the Holy Spirit is because he has been misrepresented. He's been made to seem very mysterious, even spooky at times. Or worse, he's been made to sound like the weird, crazy cousin of God's. That's a travesty because the Holy Spirit has been sent to energize and empower all that are open and seeking so that they may fully live out God's plans and purposes for their lives. I'm going to be reading a variety of verses starting with John chapter 14. If you've got your Bible or um, whatever form of Bible you have with you this morning, if you want to go ahead and go there. But we're going to be reading portions of scripture out of John 14, 15, and 16. These, these three chapters contain a recorded conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Um, and it's taking place about 12 uh, to 50, over a 12 to 15 hour time period before his crucifixion. The conversation that starts in chapter 14 um, actually concludes at the end of chapter 16. They start out in a house together, in an upper room, having a last meal together. And then through the course of these chapters, they begin to walk on to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a pivotal conversation. It's between the Lord and it's not just his disciples, but his closest friends, people who have been following him for these three years of ministry. They've grown to love him and rely on him and become dependent upon him. And in the midst of this conversation, over and over again, he tells them, I'm going away, but don't be troubled because I'm sending someone else. And he begins to introduce them to the Holy Spirit and their need for him. So let's begin by reading John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Some translations say helper, so I'm going to say counselor slash helper today. He will give you another counselor, helper, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be with you. Did you hear how many times Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as he and him in those two verses? That's because the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Bible, the Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is the third person of the Trinity. And that's very important to understand because if you don't recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person, you will never develop a personal relationship with him. Amen. Let's drop down to John uh, 14, 25 and continue hearing, listening in on this conversation. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor helper, second time he uses the phrase, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now on to 1526. But when he, the counselor helper, comes, third time he's used the phrase, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, much later in the conversation, John 16, 7. 
Jesus says, but I tell you the truth. In other words, this is going to be very hard for you to believe. It is good. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Four times in one conversation, Jesus makes the point. I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a counselor and a helper. And it's going to be better for you to have a relationship with him than it's been for you to have a relationship with me. We hear Jesus speaking with almost a sense of urgency. It's as though he's imploring his disciples then and now to embrace a life of spirit-filled living. Why this sense of urgency? I think it's because he knew what his followers were going to be facing. He knew that they were going to need the Holy Spirit to effectively live out the message of Christ. And they were going to need the Holy Spirit to be able to effectively share the message of Christ. Let's say both of those. We need the Holy Spirit in order to live out, live out the message of Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit in order to share the message of Christ. Live out. Share. Okay, we now have 40% of the people participating. All right, we're going for 100%. Ready? We need the Holy Spirit in order to live out and to share the message of Christ. Very good. Have you ever tried to learn how to dance from a book? It's a messy thing. A couple of years ago, um, at the volunteer for the volunteer appreciation uh, show banquet that we do, um, if you've ever volunteered at Grace Covenant and you're invited to the volunteer show, this is what happens. I'm giving you a little peek on what happens. The pastors were all asked to be in the finale, and we had to learn the steps to Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> So one of the pastors um, printed out all of the steps, and it was a couple pages long. So I took that home with me, and I would be in my living room, you know, trying to learn all the different (laughs) steps. And fortunately, Walt did not know how to shoot video on his camera at that time. But I kept trying to learn, you know, just all these steps, three times to the right here and over here and blah, blah, And I realized, you know what? Maybe if I turned the music on, it would be a little easier for me to learn. So when I did that and I turned the music on, I actually, the steps started to make more sense to me. And I think sometimes with believers, um, we are prone to follow the book while ignoring the music. We master the doctrine, we outline the chapters, we memorize all the do's and don'ts, fill in all the blanks, but unfortunately we ignore the Holy Spirit. And when we ignore the Holy Spirit, we actually short circuit the power that Jesus made available for us. It's like we try to dance with no music. Someone once said, I need Jesus Christ for my eternal life, And I need the Holy Spirit of God for my internal life. So what does it take to come alive to spirit-filled living? The main thing is we have to understand who he is and how he operates in our life. And then based on that understanding, we we develop a personal relationship with him. 
When Jesus identified the Holy Spirit as our counselor helper, he actually was using the word um, parakletos. Para, some people say it as para, but the Greek pronunciation is para. Parakletos, para means alongside, kletos means to come. So in other words, Jesus was saying, I'm sending someone to come alongside of you. Picture, if you would, a parent teaching a young child how to ride a bicycle and how that parent, the kid is on the bike, you know, and they're all shaky and wobbly. And that parent comes alongside and they're saying, okay, okay, keep the bar straight. Okay. You can do this. I've got you. I'm right alongside of you. You're not going to fall. Everything's going to be okay. That's kind of a picture of what it's like when the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to help us navigate this life. The only difference is, unlike a human parent, the Holy Spirit never leaves us. He's always with us. Beginning on February 21st, I'm going to be teaching a three-week class on the Holy Spirit. Now, that class was pared down to three weeks. It originally was six weeks, but the six weeks was actually pared down from 12 weeks. The very original class years ago was 12 weeks long. And the point I'm making is we could spend a whole year unwrapping who the Holy Spirit is and how he operates and the gifts that he gives us and what the power in his life looks like. But we don't have the time to do that this morning. We only have a few more moments together. So we're going to focus on three key ways that we can come alive unto the, um, under the Holy Spirit and look at how he operates and works. First of all, the Holy Spirit helps us come alive because he convicts us, leading us to make right decisions and repentance when we make the wrong decisions. Look with me to John chapter 16, starting with verse 8. When he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And then Jesus breaks that statement down a little bit. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you cannot see me uh, longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Billy Graham used to tell the story of a Russian aristocrat who attended one of his crusades in London. The gentleman um, didn't speak any English and didn't understand any English, but somehow he found himself down at the altar during the altar call time. We've seen those pictures of the throngs of people that come forward in a Billy Graham crusade. Well, the person that was um, ministering to this man at the altar realized he spoke spoke Russian, and they happened to have a Russian prayer counselor available at the crusade. So that person came over to speak with this gentleman. And they asked the man, they said, why are you here? Why are you down at this altar? If you didn't understand anything that Mr. Graham shared in his message, why are you standing at this altar? And this is what the gentleman said. He said, when I entered this place, I was overwhelmed with my need for God. A longing for God rose within me. Tell me, how can I find him? You see, this is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in an unbeliever's life. 
When we are outside of relationship with God through Christ, it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us or convinces us, might be another word you could use, convicts us of our need for a Savior. That is particularly um, important to me because of the way of, of my life story. When I was eight years old, I was convicted or convinced at church camp that I needed to follow Jesus, that I needed to make Jesus my savior. But over the years, due to a variety of circumstances, I drifted. I mean, like, I drifted, okay? <laughs> I drifted from the Lord. But one day at 29, it was just a few years ago, um, at 29, I found myself in a situation where I literally was in a parking lot sitting on a dumpster. It's a, God's got a great sense of humor because I'll never forget it. My life was really a mess at the time. And it was a very appropriate place for me to be sitting. There's a whole story to that. But anyway, I found myself sitting there. Nobody was around me. Nobody was talking to me. Nobody was telling me to read particular verses of scripture. I had this overwhelming pressure rising up within me that was like it was compelling me. It was convicting me that I was out of alignment with God's plans for my life and I needed to return home. I needed to come back. I needed to ask him to forgive me and to cleanse me of my unrighteousness, of my sin, and re-embrace me and start my life anew. My point is nobody was there. Nobody was talking to me. It was the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, if you have people in your life who have wandered far from God, they're just, they're just not in proximity with a, in a relationship with the heavenly father through Christ, the best, one of the best things that you can do is don't nag them. Don't nag them about church. Don't keep leaving little, you know, pamphlets where they might see them. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Call on him. Invite his convicting power to meet that person in a way that is tangible to them. Because the Holy Spirit will do it. He wants to testify to Jesus in people's lives. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit lead them. In addition to... Convicting us of sin, Jesus says the Holy Spirit also convicts or convinces us of righteousness. In other words, after he has convicted us of our need for a savior, he then convinces us that we have right standing with God. And the reason that we have right standing with God is because we have put our trust in the righteous one who stands at the right hand of the father. And then as a follower of Christ, he continues to convict us or convince us when we have gone astray in our decisions or our choices or our actions. He leads us into a feeling of remorse or sorrow for what we have done. He never shames us or condemns us for who we are. Did you notice in there? The condemnation was reserved for the prince of the world. It said the Holy Spirit convicts us people of sin, but he condemns the prince of the world. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn us. Ever find yourself in a moment 
where you are about to say something that you shouldn't and you feel that little tweak inside, that uneasy sense. And what do we say? We recognize it because this is what we say. I probably shouldn't say this, but we're being convicted, right? There's a conviction that's going on, but we don't yield to it. We ignore it. And then we say what we want to say. And then that leads us to repentance because we realize we shouldn't have said that. Or every now and then you have a, just what I just call a check in your spirit. You're uneasy about something that you're about to do or a place that you're about to go to or people that you're about to spend time with. And it's like this, this warning system goes off in you. Uh, 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 you know, warning, warning. Don't go there. Don't buy that. Don't be with them. But many times we ignore it. And when we ignore it, then we then suffer the consequences of those choices. The Holy Spirit is constantly prompting us, halt! That's not God's best for you. That's going to diminish your life, not cause you to come alive. As I've grown with the Lord, I've learned to welcome the Holy Spirit's convicting work Because whenever he convicts me, I know that it's a divine invitation to spiritual maturity. Another way that the Holy Spirit helps us come alive is that he teaches us and he guides us into all truth. Look at what Jesus says in John 16, 12, and 13. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit has no other agenda other than to speak the truth. So we have to ask, what is truth? Truth is reality from God's perspective, from God's point of view. Truth is not what we think it should be. It's not what we would like for it to be or what we would wish it would be. Truth is God's reality. And God's reality is expressed in God's word. And the Holy Spirit was the author of God's word. Therefore, he unveils, he um, brings into focus God's word for us so that we will know the truth. Have you ever been in a worship service or a Bible study or maybe just in conversation with friends or your own personal devotion time and you're reading something or you hear something, you hear a principle um, and you go, ah, I get it. I got it. Or maybe you've been in your own personal devotion time and you're reading the scripture. Maybe you've read it over and over again, but then all of a sudden this one day you read it and you just have like pages of understanding that you never had before. And you're like, oh, that story just became alive to me and I own it. It's mine. I can turn around and share that with somebody else. That's the Holy Spirit bringing the truth of God's word into focus for you. So whenever you go to the scriptures, whenever you're about to study or you're to read, ask the Holy Spirit to remove the mist from your eyes and let you see the word of God as he intended for you to see it. That's one of his jobs. It's what he loves to do. 
But he also, in addition to teaching us the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit also guides us into everyday truths. Christian writer Charlie Shadows writes this, that early in his ministry, um, before he had children, he used to teach a workshop called Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Children. Isn't that precious? Um, Then he had his first child. After that, he changed the title of the workshop to Ten Hints for Parents. Then he had his second child. And he changed the title again to A Few Tentative Hints for Fellow Strugglers. (laughs) Then they had their third child and he quit teaching the workshop altogether. My point is we have limited perspective. We have limited knowledge, limited vision. But the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, doesn't. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, and he can guide us in the truth. Have you ever been in a situation or a conversation with somebody and you're just sitting there looking at them and you're kind of going, this just isn't adding up. (laughs) Like the dots just aren't connecting and I think something's being left out of the story or something just isn't quite right. That's the Holy Spirit giving you a knowing, a prompting that you're not fully in the truth of that situation. Our son, um, hey, in case you're watching, Travis, he's supposed to be online today in Charleston. Um, Sorry about this. I'm about to unveil you. But anyway, um, (laughs) when our son was growing up uh, in middle school and high school, he used to get so frustrated because he just got busted for everything. I mean, we found out everything. And he would, I remember one time, Walt was sharing this with somebody out in the portico this morning. There was one time where he did something three, about three or four blocks from our house. And by the time he got home, somebody had already called me to tell me that they had seen him doing what he was doing. So the poor kid, he just used to get so frustrated. And he was like, you find out everything. I can't get away with anything. And I was like, that's right, because you've got a praying mother and father, and this is what we pray, that the spirit of truth will constantly reveal the truth to us, because we know that deception and secrets destroy lives, and so we want the Holy Spirit to unveil things on you as rapidly as you do them, so that this family can live in the truth, and so that you can be protected from going too far far your own way. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. We can call on him when we know that we're not every we're not hearing all the facts. We don't understand everything that's going on. We can go to him and say, "Holy Spirit, I I don't get it. I don't know what's going on, but would you come and reveal the truth to me? Show me the truth." <coughs> The third way to come alive to a spirit-filled living is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus has another conversation with the disciples. He tells them to go and meet together in this upper room and to wait and to pray and to worship. And he says, and while you're doing that, something awesome is going to take place. And this is what he says to them. You will receive power. What are you going to receive? When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God knew that in our own strength, we would live a life that was powerless, full of defeat, and that we would never be able to be truly effective for the kingdom of God outside of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to live life effectively and carry out the ministry of Jesus. Earlier, I commented that some believers avoid developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit because they've seen people make him weird. Can I just tell you something? The Holy Spirit is not weird. People can get weird, but the Holy or people can make the Holy Spirit weird, but the Holy Spirit is not weird at all. In fact, <coughs> developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit should be a natural outgrowth of a believer's life. Jesus said that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we could be his witnesses. So developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. It makes you a normal, everyday follower of Jesus. The moment the first church received the Holy Spirit's power, amazing things begin to happen. Massive amounts of people were getting saved. People were healed and raised from the dead. The disciples at first church literally began to turn the world upside down. I believe that as Satan saw what was possible through people yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit, I think he began to set a strategy in place so that people would be afraid of the Holy Spirit. They would be afraid to engage in this power that God had made available to us. When a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit began, began to blow across the earth in the late 1900s, I think once again there was a revived strategy session in hell. I think as Satan saw the church again tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit, he commanded his demons and said, we got to mess this up. And so they began to create controversies and get people focused on one spiritual gift so that people would back off of wanting to live in a vibrant, full life of the Holy Spirit's power. But Romans 8:11 says this to us. Paul says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in us. The truth is today that every follower of Jesus Christ can flow in the same power that filled those first disciples. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed in centuries. We've just changed in the measure that we seek him. I want you to turn to somebody this morning. And I want you to look at them and I want you to say, you've got the power. You've got the power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You've got the power. Now ask them, are you tapping into it? Are you tapping into it? Let me give you four attitudes that we have to have to tap into this power that has already been placed within each one of us upon accepting Jesus as our Savior. 
If you want to come alive to the spirit-filled living, there are four attitudes that your life needs to be marked by. One is obedience. It's the first one. You have to want God's will. When we come alive to spirit-filled living, we surrender our will. One of the indicators that we are wanting God's will more than our will is that when we sense his conviction, we don't run from it, but we yield to it. Another attribute is humility, wanting God's way. We come alive to spirit-filled living when we admit that we can't rely on our own abilities. When we admit that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We're dependent upon his power being activated in our lives. I love one of the most encouraging verses to me in the Bible is Paul remembering the words of Jesus when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made strong in your weakness. Humility is realizing that, Lord, I just don't have the goods on my own. I need you. I depend upon you. Bring it through me, Holy Spirit. Then the attitude of receiving is important. Receiving is wanting God's fullness. He gives it, the Holy Spirit is a gift to us and all generations that follow us. But a gift has to be received in order to be utilized. Coming alive to spirit-filled living requires us to take the risk and ask for more of the evidence of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. And then we have to expect it. We have to want God's presence and expect that God will be God, that the Holy Spirit will flow through us the way that he says that he will and that he is no respecter of person. He will flow through me just like he will flow through you. But we have to live with an attitude of expectancy. Let me bring all of what I've said this morning into one story, just as an example of how the Holy Spirit works and the attitude that we have to have in order to come alive unto spirit-filled living. A year or so ago, during a cleansing stream retreat, there was a young man that kept coming up for prayer. At the retreats for cleansing stream, we have like teachings, and then there's a prayer time, and then teaching, and then there's a prayer time. And this, this young man, um, probably in his 20s or so, he just kept coming up, but he would leave the altar with the same countenance, almost a forlorn look that God just hadn't met him and that there hadn't been breakthrough. And the Lord really put this young man on my heart and I began to pray for him all throughout the day. In fact, the retreat was happening right here in, in um, the sanctuary. No, no, it was at the other church. Sorry, I just remembered that right. Um, so we were at another church in, in Charlotte. And uh, But anyway, this young man, I, I just couldn't, he was always in my sights, regardless of where he sat. And, and I began to pray for him at a specific point in the afternoon because I was burdened that he was going to leave and, and not have had his breakthrough. And so I just began to say, Holy Spirit, 
come and show us how to pray for this young man. Holy Spirit, would you just come and reveal a truth to us? And would you just guide us in how to pray for him and bring him in? Help us bring him into the place of wholeness and freedom that you want him to leave here with. You have something you want to say to him, and we don't know what it is, but I know that you can show it to us. And at about that time, I kind of turned, I kind of was praying with my back to the congregation and I turned and I looked and my eyes immediately lit on him. And when my eyes lit on him, I saw for the first time in the day that he had these great big set of earphones around his neck and he'd had them on all day. I just, I just hadn't really connected to it. And the minute that I saw those earphones, I just, I just heard within me. Okay. The Holy spirit speaks and I heard within me, Um, this prompting, ask him about the earphones. So I was like, okay. Remember I said obedience. I've learned in my walk with the Lord that it's better for me to be obedient to what I think the Holy Spirit is prompting within me and to look like an idiot than to disobey and miss a move of God. So when the fellow came up for prayer, went up to him And I just said, hey, I've got a question I need to ask you. It's probably going to sound a little odd, but you got to take the risk. That receiving comes with risk taking. And sometimes we have to risk putting it out there and letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So I said, this might sound a little strange to you, but I just need to ask you, like, what's up with the earphones? And what do they mean to your life? Why have you been wearing those all day? And do they have any significance to your life? And he just kind of looked at me like, you drinking the Kool-Aid or, you know, (laughs) whoa, that's what? And I said, I just have to ask you again, is there any significance to your past in those earphones being around your neck? This time his eyes got as big as saucers. Tears kind of welled up in his eyes, and he said, well, I hate to tell you this, but when I was younger, I tried to kill myself, and the way that I tried to kill myself was by hanging myself. He said, in fact, these earphones kind of cover up some of the scars of that hanging. Boom. Truth. Truth released. We were able to minister to him. We were able to take him through some inner healing. He was able to get free from that memory of that childhood trauma that he had suffered. He was able to repent of taking his own life. He left that altar, earphones off the neck and a smile on his face. He was transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen. That's not unique to me. That can happen in your life too. That can happen in the church's life on an ongoing basis. The thing is, we're not yielding. We're not coming alive to the vibrancy of the move of God because we're not yielding to those Holy Spirit promptings and trusting him to minister through us. As I was praying for this service, there was one phrase that kept stirring within me. And that phrase was, it's time. It's time. And I went to the Lord yesterday and I'm like, Lord, I can't get away from this phrase. It's time. What are you saying? What do you want to say to the people of Grace Covenant? What are you speaking? It's time. It's time for what? 
And this is what I began to write. It is time that the church live in the supernatural power that is within them. That power is unmeasurably awesome. It's unbelievably reliable and it's unquestionably needed today. Therefore, church, it is time for us to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to welcome the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to depend upon the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to obey the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to expect the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to call upon the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to come alive. If that, if that resonates with you this morning, would you just place yourself in an attitude of surrender? One of the expressions that we have for surrendering in the church is open hands. Open hands. It just symbolizes, Lord, I am open to your will and I'm open to your ways. So if that, what I just spoke about, it's time, or anything else in this message has resonated with you, would you open your hands? And I'm going to pray for all the open hands, for the Holy Spirit to pour out freshly upon us, for us to receive a greater capacity to understand him and know him. Lord, there are hands just lifted all over this sanctuary. You see them. You see the hands that are lifted in houses and hotel rooms that are watching online this morning. You see these hands. You see these open hands that are expressing, I want more. Lord, would you pour out a greater revelation on us? Would you pour out a greater sensitivity to us of your Holy Spirit's promptings and your Holy Spirit's desires for our lives? Lord, would you give us a greater risk factor? Help us, help our faith, help our unbelief, Lord, to trust you when we sense those promptings to speak words of life to people or to minister to people or to ask them questions or to engage them in conversation. Help us to step out of our natural abilities and help us to step into your supernatural abilities. God, infuse us with greater boldness. You said in Acts 1.8 that power would come upon us so that we would be able to be greater witnesses in our local community and in the world abroad. God, we need boldness. We need forthrightness. We need a greater degree of confidence to minister in your name. And this morning we ask for it. Our world needs to see, needs to witness the power of a loving God. Our world needs to witness the power of a healing God. Our world needs to witness the power of a delivering God. And Lord, you do all those things through your people. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to live in a come alive sense. Take us into deeper dimensions with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you seal that prayer with me? 
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.